Podcast 61, Book List, Part 2. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. I'm pretty sure that somebody moved the ocean about 200 yards away from where we're staying. I mean, it was closer than this just a few hours ago. It's low tide, um, just getting close to sunset on the Oregon coast. It's a beautiful night. We're in Newport, and uh, we saw some uh, touristy things today, which were kind of a toss. We probably could have skipped those, I think. Yeah, it was worth a try, but they were lame. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we did go and hit the tide pools this morning. Yeah. Quite early. Um, I think I freaked out some uh, some elderly folks. <laughs> what do you mean? The ones that were getting breakfast at our hotel? Yeah, they were all standing in line to get the food, and, and they were all so tiny. They were these little <laughs> tiny people, like about 30 of them, and uh, I got tired of waiting. So uh, there was some hold up with waffles or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, one of those hotel buffet kind of things, so it was a little goofy. And they were a whole senior citizen tour, I think. Ooh, here comes the wave. Oh, here comes the water! Run! We'll get wet! <laughs> Man, that's fast! <laughs> so I, I declared the, I think I, I declared the rule of giantness, and went over to where the food was that I wanted that no one was bothering with because everybody was too polite and standing behind the woman who couldn't figure out the waffle thing. Right, right. It was so. a little goofy. Uh-oh. I think uh, a starfish, a sun star, bit it. Yeah. Yeah, and I call them sea stars, not starfishes, because they're not fish. Well, right, and I think your term is accurate, but um, I grew up calling them starfish, <laughs> and I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think most of us did, but uh, but yeah, this is one with more legs, so I think the you're sun, right. The more. I think that might be as setting-ish as we get tonight. It's quite a cloud thing. All right, what was... Uh, okay. Oh, 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 the anemones, you know, or, or the... Uh, um, uh, urchins. I, you know what? When I was last here, like uh, six or seven years ago, they there was like hardly an urchin to be found. It's like somebody was saying something about like they get big money for urchins, so then people were like harvesting them, really, and selling them. Hmm. And um, but today, uh, man, saw the mother load of urchins and anemones and starfish huh. and uh, uh, all kinds of wild things in those tidal pools and uh, um, you <laughs> you got wore out <laughs> I did I didn't like walking on the barnacles or the mus and the mussels you had to walk across a lot of sea life just to see sea life and then plus uh, I didn't have protection on my legs and if you fall on barnacles with bare legs that would hurt so I did I went out. I didn't like killing the sea life, and then I, I just was really afraid I was going to gouge my legs to pieces. 
I wish I wore a skirt and I should have had jeans on. So. So I was bounding over rocks. I went. I I went probably twice as far. You did. Saw, saw tons of stuff. I I had. I, I don't know where I got all that energy. You must have just the right stuff for breakfast or something. But, <laughs> but I had gobs of energy. You know, like just like. Uh, just, just like John Belushi, you know, <laughs> just before he died, big fat guy with oh. lots of energy. Oh, or, man. or John Candy, oh, you know, man. big fat guy, lots of energy, you know, just like just before he died. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, 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 no. but it was a gorgeous morning. Um, down by the lighthouse on uh, Yakina Head, and um, amazing tide pools, lots of ocean birds. So anyway, we didn't start this podcast to talk about the ocean, even though that's the background noise and the background to our conversation. This is part two of talking about all kinds of books, uh, kind of some of your history with books and other current books you've enjoyed. And we got about halfway through in the first podcast, and we ended talking about um, Joel Salatin's books with a brief mention of Alan Savory's Holistic Management. Uh, and you, I think you asked him if he would do a book on pigs. I asked Allison. Oh, so I've never met Savory. Savory. Okay. But I, but actually, the the Savory book was a gift to me from my uncle Doug, who is actually buds with Savory. Oh. And uh, uh, so. I, and and I've only browsed the book. I haven't thoroughly read it as much as I should. Um, uh, but you know, again, I mentioned it in the podcast, the previous podcast about you know, go look at that thread with Savory and and it's called something like Alan Savory wins an award. Um, but yeah, there's there's like some. Uh, He's got some really good stuff there, and most of the paddock shift system is based upon his theories, and he's he's reversing desertification through uh, large ruminants, uh, dominant, I mean, he's doing a lot of work with elephants, as well as, um, you know, other large ruminants. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So, um, beyond that, we had a couple other books on the list about, um, by Michael Pollan, Botany of Desire, which you saw the movie, Omnivore's Dilemma, and In Defense of Food. So, and, and Michael Pollan pulls from a lot of interesting sources to talk about what we eat and right. where it comes from. He does a really good job of uh, presenting a lot of this knowledge in a way that people can <laughs> digest. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, um, but let's talk this way a little bit so that it might not be as much noise. This way. What? The noise is good. <laughs> Hear that sunset. Listen to it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Damn it. <laughs> Look, I'm moving closer. Jocelyn being annoyed. So romantic. <laughs> not. <laughs> Listen to the sunset. <laughs> I got, <laughs> now I just want to do sound effects all over the place. All right, now I'm going to leave my little footies of things behind. That's me splashing in the water. Oh, no, here comes the wave. Okay, now I'm too wet. <laughs> this is Oregon, after all. It's not like it's California. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty cool evening. Yeah, it's a little on the cool side in August. Actually, during the day, it's uh, pretty comfortable. All right, so Pollen's work. Yes. Um, 
I I would like to see pollen do a lot more with uh, talking about polycultures and nutrition, but he always seems to kind of dodge that bullet. Well, he talks about how monocultures are not um, healthy. They're not um, they're prone to disease. They're prone to problems. Um, and monocultures is not the way. But he doesn't really talk about what the alternative is very often. True. True. And uh, or um, you know more details on why polyculture or the alternatives would be awesome um, or details in that space. I'd, I would just like to hear more of that. Um, let's see. The first one would be Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, really, uh, some, not, some... Not the first one he published, but the no, first no. one for you. First one I want, the first one of his that I read, and I, I bet you I had 25 to 30 people all saying, have you read this? What do you think? <laughs> Before I finally read it. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I, I think that um, the book had some really, really good stuff. I, I really liked how he, he tracked three meals. I like how he starts off uh, talking about a trip to McDonald's, so therefore confessing his sins, if you will. Is that a pelican? I think that's a pelican. Wow. Just splashed into the water. I don't know what it is. It's a big ocean-going bird that just, it does, it looks like a pelican. I think it's... Yeah, it's a pelican. Whatever it was, it, there's a bunch of them out there. There they go. Swamp. Big splash into the water. Yeah. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of sea lions too while we're here. Um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, oh, pollen, pollen, Michael Pollen. Uh, so he, he he starts off talking about McDonald's, and um, as much as I think that. Uh, um, McDonald's is probably vastly superior to, say, uh, Denny's. Um, you know, it is not. I, I would like to see McDonald's get better. In fact, rather than saying I, I hate McDonald's, I, I want to say I'd like to see McDonald's improve. And I and on top of that, I think that when it comes to the others, I think McDonald's is actually probably ahead of the others. Well, anyway, so he starts yeah, off there. I should focus whole, on Pollen, right? He did a whole podcast on fast food already. Okay, yeah. yeah. We got Jocelyn giving me the... The stink eye. Move on. Okay, Michael Pollan. Yeah, he started off with that. He uh, uh, ended up at Joel Salatin's farm and um, spent a week there. He uh, uh, talked a lot about a lot of the things that he experienced while he was there. Um, I really like how he talked about... Uh, his wild meal, which is his last meal, and all the wild foods, including um, the, the the pig hunt. That, was, that had a lot of interesting things. Uh, oh, I suppose, you know what was probably the best part of that book? Was what the book is named after. How he tried vegetarianism and, and how it was a dilemma. I mean, he wanted to do it. And all the reasons he wanted to do it. And all the reasons that many vegetarians do it. And um, how after he, you know, if you start off thinking, oh, I'm just going to buy carrots from the grocery store, and if you choose to not know where those carrots come from, you could live a more evolved life or a a more noble life, um, or at least try to. And then Pollen's work uncovered how many animals were killed in the creation of those carrots, and then suddenly it's kind of like, whoa, (laughs) I'm trying to be noble here, and, you know, it turns out it's kind of hard to be noble. 
Um, and so um, that, that was just really well done, really exceptionally well done. All right, and then on to his uh, indefensive food. Uh, as, as he starts to break down, I'm like, what the hell is bread? And then uh, he, he explores this whole space of, like, take your uh, grandmother or your great-grandmother with you to the grocery store, and anything she doesn't recognize as food, don't eat it. <laughs> and then if she's looking at the ingredients and she doesn't recognize it, don't eat it. Um, I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, he quotes a lot of Weston A. Price's research, or maybe not a lot of it, but some of it. And um, I know quite a few people out of Permies are a fan of Nancy Fallon's Nourishing Traditions, which is based on Weston A. Price's work. So... Is that a reflection up on the hill there? Is that the sun we're looking at being reflected? Uh, no, it's a light. Do they have a light up there? Do they light up the beach at night? That's a drag. It's a bright light. Yeah. Don't look at it. <laughs> it's too bright. <laughs> You're blind. Yeah. So, um, indefensive food. Uh, indefensive food is, is really, uh, I like how he goes, um, takes to task nutritionism. He considers it an, an ism where you're breaking down food into nutrition components that are that you really can't do. The, the, the sum is greater than the total of its parts. Hey, I just realized that uh, while we're doing this podcast, we're taking a long walk on the beach. Look <laughs> <laughs> <Put> the beach! <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm back. Yes. All right. So uh, uh, I think that a thing that Paulin says in there is really important in that book, In Defense of Food, where he talks about um, how... Currently at the grocery store, you get to pick out food that uh, has an extremely long shelf life. So it's been bred, you know, nothing phony or fake. I mean, it's totally organic. And there's a certain breed of, say, broccoli, probably an F1 hybrid, where it has this exceptionally awesome shelf life just by nature. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, is the reason why it has an exceptionally uh, long shelf life is that it's very low in nutrition. And it's, um, oh, yeah, get the picture of the pelican. Uh, I mean, so then the bacteria and things that would make it rot look at that and say, oh, that ain't food. So they don't, they don't touch it. They think it's cardboard. And, uh, and so when you taste it, it, it doesn't have a lot of flavor. So in a way, it kind of is cardboard. I, I kind of wonder if we can get a, a, a version of uh, broccoli that might be frozen that is a lot more flavor-rich. Okay. So, um, all right. Who's, who's next? Did you mention your notes because you're, like, taking pictures of the birds? Yeah, I lost my hey, notes. We're a podcast here. Try and be professional. <laughs> I don't. You're going to cut your salary in half. <laughs> what salary? That's exactly what's easy to do. What yeah. salary? Half and nothing okay. is nothing. Okay, so um, In Defense of Food, Omnivore's Dilemma, and Botany of Desire is a book which you didn't read, but you saw the movie. And I think that was one of his early ones, or right. one of his early books. I enjoyed the movie. We're trying to not talk about movies. Yes. Okay. Did you read the book? No. Oh. Um, 
And then we listed a classic, really, uh, The Good Life by Scott and Helen Nearing. Yeah. Any, any books that I had that were really good uh, mysteriously disappeared. I think people, uh, man, somebody really, like, hit this crab with a grenade launcher. There's, like, legs everywhere. Boom, baby! It's like they could make some kind of action, like some sort of summer blockbuster movie, what happened to that crab. All right. Uh, Helen and Scott Nearing's The Good Life. Um, that's one of the books that I bought a few years ago, and it has mysteriously disappeared. Um, as seems to happen to almost all of my good books, uh, they just mysteriously disappear. Uh so anyway, um, well, I think that's kind of the destiny for most good books. I mean, even libraries, I think, are starting to run out of good books because people, you know, check them out and never return them or whatever. But, um... Scott and Helen Neary, they, uh... They're in Maine. Yes, they were some of the original kind of homesteaders, in a way. Well, I think I think they represented, I think they did something, they wrote the book in the 60s, I believe. Right. And then it was a book that uh, a lot of people really, really enjoyed. Well, that's what I, I should clarify. Not original homesteaders, obviously, but uh, 60s back to the land icon. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, um, they, they, uh, their book goes into a lot of detail about um, how they like to build everything with stone. They have some philosophies about building with wood. I mean, it just rots and decomposes. You get a you get a house that's a wood house, and then you're going to like just dedicate your life to trying to keep the house from turning the compost, and uh, which is its natural desire to do. But but stone will stay there forever. So they, stone's a, a much slower medium for building things, but but it also lasts forever. Um, So they have a lot of their book dedicated to that. They also came up with some systems on how to um, uh, build their, you know, uh, go and harvest their own concrete, effectively, um, which was kind of interesting also. Um, And then, let's see. I like they had a philosophy in their book about um, uh, I believe it was bread labor, and my memory might be a little shaky on this. But as I tried to think it through and as I tried to apply it to some of the things that I did, I started calling it bread labor and soul labor. And the and the way that I did it, oh no, come on, look at the crab, look at the little crab, see him? Yeah, he's gone. You know, that's not, on the sandy beach, you don't see the little crabs very often. But he was uh, he was freaking out. He was, like, uh, upside down in that wave. <laughs> he was having a bad day. Poor little crab. So, anyway, I always called it uh, bread labor and soul labor, and the idea was is that there are certain things that you have to get done on a farm. And so then... Um, my foggy memory, uh, because of course the, the book turned up missing, so I couldn't go look it up. So um, my foggy memory made it so that you spent uh, four hours a day on bread labor, things that you have to get done, or else you know things go really bad. Or you don't have food. Yeah. Don't have food, or the animals don't have food, or right. you know whatever. You, I mean, there's things you have to get done. Yeah. And then eventually something turns into money at some point, which you need for this, that, and the other thing. And then four hours a day of soul labor, which is going to be things that don't have to get done, 
but help. Um, and and yeah. it mostly it's feeding yourself. I mean, yeah. because you're doing it because you wanna, not because you gotta. Yeah. So look, the water's coming back in for this thing that's going to cut us off. We're, it turns out we're on a island out in the uh, ocean, huh? and uh, <laughs> at the moment it's not an island, but it's about to change in the next ten seconds or so unless we make a run for it, <laughs> or are prepared to wait a little bit at least. Look at how deep that is right there. It does. Look at look at that. That's a good couple of feet, three feet deep. I mean, we just might get whacked. All right. So that's nearing, nearing. Of course, they, there's another book out that, uh, like, they sold their farm. They moved to some other place to, to, for some reason. And the place that they left behind, they sold to somebody who then made, like, a coffee table picture book, which was uh, a really beautiful book. And I have that. I think it's called Main Farm. And then uh, moving on from the nearings is we go across the Pacific Ocean to Matsunoba, Fukuoka. <laughs> One straw revolution. Um, I got an email from Larry. See, I told you, didn't I? I told you. It's, it's, it, it's making like a new little lake right there. See, it'll be shallower here. You might get your feet wet. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't, I don't <laughs> but I am giant. <laughs> you don't trust me? What? No, I don't trust you. Look, here comes the tide. It's going to fill that lake in. Quick, let's make a run for it. Ooh, this could be deep. This is evidence the tide's coming back in. Oh no! <laughs> look, look, crabs! See them? Right there! Oh, they buried themselves! Look at this. Well, they can't, now you can't look. They buried themselves. That was a kick in the sand. They're smart. Look, we made it to the other side and we're alive. <laughs> now, do you trust me 1% better? Uh, maybe half of a 1%. Half of 1%. Okay. We lived. Masanoba Fukuoka, Japan. Uh, you know, we've talked about Fukuoka stuff so many times in the podcast. And the book is One Straw Revolution. Which is a little tiny book, and it's awesome. And and I guess the, one of the main light things that are in the book that we don't talk about too often in the podcast, yeah, another lighthouse. Man, this place is just infested with lighthouses. So, uh, is that... And Larry Korn was very emphatic about this, about how the book is really about philosophy. And it's, it is, in Fukuoka's stuff is not really about techniques. And then, uh, but basically Fukuoka proved a lot of stuff that many other people have not been able to emulate. And I think the reason why they're not able to emulate it is because they are trying to use his technique and not his philosophy. And his philosophy is, is very similar to Sepp Holzer's, which is very observation-intensive. And I think, I think you know, another big ingredient is, is rather than just being a copycat and doing something that somebody else has done, I think it's really important to innovate. 
And so observe and innovate. Observe and innovate. Observe and innovate. So uh, Fukuoka's book tells a lot of stories, and he also is very uh, uh, frank. In the beginning, he took his philosophies to the fruit trees that you don't need to prune them, and a bunch of them died right away. Because they had started out being pruned. And that was what he yeah. came up with was is that fruit trees that are never pruned never need pruning. Fruit trees that have been pruned will forever need to be pruned or they will die. Okay, this looks like another island we're coming up on. So with the tide coming in, maybe we should head back towards the, the drier sand. Oh, <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, um, yes. Look at that cloud. It's it's like that uh, that that movie where the big spaceship's coming and it's going to blast them. the Independence Day movie. Oh. Because it's big and it's round, it's like a spaceship. It's it's, it's pink on the edge, (laughs) gray through the middle. Yeah, the one in the movie wasn't pink. (laughs) If the aliens wanted to sneak up on us and say, "Hi, we're friends," just before blasting us, they should come up in a a pink spacecraft. We learned that you guys like think pink is cute. We'll put flowers on it. I'm gonna write peace on it. It'd be like a big Volkswagen van in the sky. (laughs) Did you know when they were trying to decide the colors for baby? Um, in, like a hundred years ago, they thought pink was more masculine than blue. They thought that powder blue color was too feminine for boys. So it was just kind of by a roll of the dice that someone decided, no, pink is girls, blue is boys. And now we just think that's the normal. But uh, but about a hundred years ago, it wasn't wasn't necessarily so. But pink has been proven to have calming effects on people. Well, I think. I think pink clothes means that somebody put a red shirt in with the white. <laughs> You're such a guy. <laughs> That's what pink really okay. means. Okay, back to books. Back to books. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, there's a ton. You have some videos of Larry Korn talking about Masanobu Fukuoka. There's threads out on Permies. Oh, yeah. There's books. You know, there's, it's fascinating stuff. So we had to mention that book. Uh, and then there's two books by Mike Ayler. Right. In fact, I saw Mike just a couple of days ago. I saw him on the way out here. Yes. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so he's got the $50 and up underground house book, which um, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, he believes that he should have changed the name to the Earth Integrated book, the $50 and up Earth Integrated house book or something like that. And the rest of the week, he wants to leave it the way it is. <laughs> So I got to, you know, some days he remembers, some days, well, anyway. And then he's got that book about uh, the greenhouses. And he does call that Earth Sheltered, the Earth Sheltered Solar Greenhouse book or something like that, right? Right, right, something like that. Uh, I can't remember the exact title. And and just, uh, I'm sure Mike Ayler, there are threads about Mike Ayler out on Permese, but anyone who's new, that last name is spelled differently. If you want to look it up, it's O-E-H-L-E-R. Yeah, yeah, you think it was pronounced Oler, but it's actually pronounced Ayler. Yeah. Um, I think that this, uh, I mean, uh, basically I avoided the book for many, many years because I was uh, so sure 
that I was never going to live in an underground home and the underground stuff sucks and I've heard so many stories of underground sucking in so many different ways and then uh, I, but a lot of the other books I read on eco-building were really emphatic about how this book had a lot of really good information in it so finally I went and read it and what are you doing? I'm trying to pop that you're trying to pop it over my electronic device? Well, just for the noise. For the noise. It won't pop, though. It's already deflated. No. Have you got yourself some kelp of some kind? No, what is yeah. it? Some sort of seaweed? Yeah. I don't know what kind. I don't know my seaweed. I would like to. A lot of people harvest seaweed at the coast. I would like to know more. I know that we had some wild edible walks for the Puget Sound area that were for gathering seaweed. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, any kind of prep and harvest and eating and whatnot that might go with it. Oh, there, you popped it. I'm glad there wasn't water in that. Nah, I feel better now. You know, it came from the ocean. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, the thing is, is that uh, I think Ehlers stuff is actually quite brilliant. And... Uh, I want to, and of course, it's the foundation for my Wafati designs, and if anybody's going to be doing any Wafati work, they really need to get Ehlers' book, because it has all of the nitty-gritty details about um, uh, how, you know, like what kind of wood, how big of a wood, stuff like that, to, to build all this stuff. Okay. So moving on, what is this book on the list called Homework? Oh, so that was, there's one homework and then shelter. I think it's the follow-up to a book called Shelter. Oh, right. And so Shelter is this book that's like really tall and wide and and only moderately thick, but it's like a definitely a coffee table paperback. It's just huge. It's enormous. But it's this um, book just filled with pictures of all kinds of alternative buildings, all kinds of eco-structures, all kinds of interesting things. It's just called Shelter, right? Shelter, yes. What a, what a fun book to just spend an hour or two just turning the pages and going, ooh, <laughs> 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 look at that one. You know, so... Uh, uh, and then homework is like part two. <laughs> uh, and then there's, I think there's a part three book, and I think I even own that, although I have not spent as much time with it as the others. Okay. Okay. And then uh, something we've talked more about in podcasts and on Permi's um, community books. We have the books by Diana Leaf Christian about community. Uh, and we've mentioned those in the other podcasts, Creating a Life Together and Finding Community by Diana Leaf Christian. Right. So um, Creating a Life Together is going to be about creating a community, although I think it talks a little bit about joining a, an existing community. But then the, the second one is uh, exclusively about finding and joining uh, an existing community and what to expect right. kind of a thing. Um, and uh, uh, this is, um, it, it covers a lot of interesting things uh, um, about community and, and um, how to prepare yourself and how to keep from uh, having things go sour for you early and how to, I don't know, I think a lot of it is like be respectful of others. I mean, I remember, you know, well, a lot of my memory in this space with her has to do with hearing her say a lot of this stuff. And um, I remember one time she said something like, uh, 
you know, when you go to visit a new community, leave your dog at home. A lot of times, uh, the, the dogs fight, and so that's not good. Right. Um, and, uh... Someone wrote an ad for the Oregon Tourist Bureau in the sand. They have a piece of driftwood. Summer, come to Oregon. <laughs> oh. Doesn't it look like somebody was... That person, the person they drew has a beak. Ah. Cleft lip. <laughs> yeah. it looks like a cleft lip smile. So, um, uh, Diana's. Uh, there's so much stuff about how, like, how do you get the funding? How do you pay for the land? How do you start, you know, organizing and building these decision-making processes, stuff like that? I mean, how do you how do you build a collaborative process? Oh, the moon is coming up. It's huge and it's pink. <laughs> It's more of a peach, really. Yeah, well, okay. It's the peaches coming up. It is, it is. Look, you can see it move. Look at that. Just as we're standing here, look how fast it's moving up. Oh, yeah, that's bizarre. Wild, isn't it? It's over the top of that dune uh, across the way there, below the lighthouse. And the sun is about down. Yeah. I mean, I think we got clouds out there. Boys, whoever's out there on the Pacific Ocean today, your life probably sucks. <laughs> it's like, there's probably stormy nastiness. Or is it sunny here? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. sunny as in the sun's gone down, sunny. Right. Well, oh, clear. speaking of the sun going down, maybe we should kind of head back. <laughs> yeah. We Look, a long way. we went a long way. Uh-oh. Well, we're all the way down by the lighthouse, down by the city park. Oh, the other lighthouse. Lighthouse number three. But, uh, but at least this is a great view of the moon rising, though. We wouldn't have seen this if we were up farther on the beach. That's true. Although, if we go back there, we'll get to see it rise again over something else. True. True. Oh, I closed my notes. So, uh, Diana leaves Christian. Then, uh, what did we have after that? Again, this is a random list, not, you know... This is just what I can remember while we're driving down. Anything like that. Oh, um, The People of Cascadia by Heidi Bowen. Right. So uh, I've known Heidi for a long time. I, I've known, I knew Heidi before she wrote a book. <laughs> so uh, um, it seems like Heidi and I go to a lot of the same events. And um, uh, Heidi has an incredible amount of knowledge about Native stuff. She's been teaching uh, stuff about uh, Native cultures, Native American cultures in the Pacific Northwest for decades, I think. Probably. A long time. Um, she works with the Snoqualmie tribe. She's an ethnobotanist, and she's also a permaculturist. She teaches, yeah, she teaches permaculture, and, and the classes that she teaches are, have a lot of emphasis on uh, native stuff, right. um, ancestral we, skills. Yeah, yeah, a lot of weaving, the ethnobotany, um, yeah. So uh, she's got a book out where she's done all of the drawings herself, and uh, uh, she um, has done a really great job uh, showing different kinds of plant, places where plants could grow different kinds of uh, environments, um, and what kinds of plants you might find, and that kind of thing. And the, the history and the culture of the people, you know, what they wore, how they made what they wore, the different shelters, things like that, of the people.
people of the Cascadia region. Including pit shelters. I've, I've got her on video talking about uh, pit shelters, which are the predecessor to the teepee. Basically, the teepee is like the uh, the Winnebago of, of houses. And the thing is, is that with the pit shelter, it's got to the point where uh, you had enough people with their pit shelters, and then and then you ran out of food nearby, or food nearby ran low, and it's like, hey, let's do the Winnebago thing, and the TP is effectively the Winnebago. So uh, that's how they got. So they did that, and then they just lived in their Winnebagos year-round. It's like, screw the pit house. <laughs> so uh, they started. Well, anyway, <clears throat> I'm drifting off a little bit here. Okay. Uh, um, I I do make a lot of video with Heidi. Um, but the book itself is such a delicious, easy read. Lots of pictures, lots of drawings. And um, rather than just going on and on, blathering on about things, it's like just, she seems to just, she seems to know the exact amount of information that I have an appetite for. So the book ends up being really, a really deliciously easy read for me. Um, whereas sometimes you'll, you'll open a book up and I'll go into a lot of detail about something that I, turns out I don't give a damn about. I get bored. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Okay, next is Pole Building Construction. So I bought two or three of these books, and then it seems like one of them I ended up really liking. <laughs> and if we were doing this where I had the books in front of me, I could tell you which one was the good one and which ones I didn't like. <laughs> but I, I and I have, but we were doing this. We just made the list up on the car in the car on the way down here while I'm driving, and I'm like digging around in my head trying to remember these things. But I did find that there was a book on pole construction, true pole construction, that um, was really good. And and pole construction is where you're going to stick these poles in the ground about three feet deep, and then you're going to design the building around them to try and keep the poles dry. Because otherwise, if the poles get wet and you've got your uh, pole touching soil and it's got some moisture there, they're going to rot in the ground. But if you can if you can adhere to this one architectural principle, keep the poles dry, then you've got a structure that is crazy durable, crazy strong, crazy awesome in so many ways. Look, I think it's the Seagull Mafia. <laughs> Man, do they look they, they look uh yeah, it's like an episode of, it's going to be like uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Birds. They look like bird thugs. <laughs> it's just getting late at night, that's all. Oh. Uh, so, moving on from the pole construction book, uh, Foxfire book. Oh, right. When I was like 18, I, I poured through like four of these. I think there was only four available at the time. And... Uh, these are just stories of where people would go up into the Appalachians. Ooh, it's a jellyfish. It's a jellyfish. It's not looking so good right now. Well, on this end, out of water, it's not, not very good for jellyfish. Yeah, they do seem to be a water-dwelling kind of creature. Um, they, I just, I just really enjoyed reading them when I was young. Uh, and. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's bits of information in there that are really good, but you got to kind of hunt and peck for them. Well, look at the lighthouse way out there. Yeah. 
And so, but you got to wait. You got to wait for the light to come around. The light comes around. Yeah. That's the Yakina Head Lighthouse. That's where we were. I took the tight. There it is. See, this is the light. Yes. There it is. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, Foxfire books. Foxfire books. Well, it's it's like you gotta you read it. It's a story. I mean, people went out and they found these guys. They're like, are these people that are like ninety, and then they're like, just saying, well, how did you do things back when you were younger and stuff? And and they list off as much as they can remember, you know. And kind of hard to read some of it because they got their special flavor of English. Yeah. But um, you know, you think I talk funny. <laughs> So, uh, uh, but they probably talked a little bit about pole barns. Speaking of pole construction, true, Mina, true, Mina. true. I remember things like how to make a fiddle, and I was kind of thinking, well, I don't want to make a fiddle, so I'm like skipping over that part, right? You know, right. grooving on some of the other parts, right? Okay, um, the Earth Care Manual and Permaculture in a Nutshell by Patrick Whitefield. So Permaculture in a Nutshell was one of the first books I read on permaculture. Oh. <laughs> Mostly because it was available at the library. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is this is when I'm doing something and a fella says in my neighborhood comes by, looks at what I'm doing and he says, Oh well what you're doing is permaculture. What the hell is that? So I, I go to the library, I get a bunch of books, start booking up. Uh, and and it was a book that started off by you know stacking functions and it started talking about uh, having your chickens in your greenhouse um, and all the advantages that come with that package. And uh, now I, I don't agree with that now, but at the time that that was a lot of good information. Well, it's a good example of innovating and thinking of things a little different. True, very true, very true. And it's a little tiny book, and it was a very easy read, and I I really enjoyed it. Um, then, um, as I was taking my permaculture design course, Michael Polarski had a copy of the Earth Care Manual, which was hot off the press, and uh, um, I pawed through it twice and it had a lot of information in it that I have not seen in any other book that I thought was was really awesome and um, it had one example well for one well for one thing I thought it was really great and how it respected uh, my segment which is the minority this segment of the population that believes that um, uh, cardboard use uh, in a garden is like, I'm not comfortable with it. So he basically said 70% of the people in permaculture think it's okay, 30% think it's not okay. And I thought, way to say it, way to be inclusive, you know, and, 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 and straightforward about it. And I think that his numbers are accurate, and I thought it was really good. Another good one that he said was something about, like, uh, he, he had two pictures. And it's like, okay, and the picture on the left, these pictures were both taken three years after trees were planted. And the one on the left is the way you normally do it. It's the standard way of planting trees. And the one on the right, we simply just mulched the trees when we planted them. And the one on the right, they were like, there was like three to five times more biomass on the right. Just, you know, it was, the trees were taller and wider and everything was bushier and thick. I mean, the jungle, jungle. Right. Instant jungle. So uh, I, I poured through that book. I really enjoyed it. Next. Well, um, then there are two more. Oh, no. I don't want to skip over the man who planted trees. 
So there is a book. We're trying not to do just movies. There's a book called The Man Who Planted Trees. And the movie is based on the book. And, of course, both are awesome. Right. Right. Just about how the, the trees, planting the trees, restored in uh, a desertified ecosystem. Right. So it was like um, uh, reversing desertification in trance. So, um, and, and, yeah, planting trees brings back creeks. Yeah, yeah. And, and, a, and a beautifully told, very short story. Right, right. Um, and then you had two more that were kind of random throwbacks to the 100 gardening books you read 10 years ago. And, and there could be more current versions of this or maybe even, but uh, one was a companion planting book called something. You weren't sure of the title. It was something like Carrots Love Tomatoes. And the other was, bizarrely enough, a gardening book by Troy Bill Rototiller. <laughs> okay, so the, the companion planning book is indeed called Carrots Love Tomatoes. Okay. That's, you know, so it's, it's I, there's no guessing that's, that's what it is called. Okay. Um, the one that I'm not sure about is the Troy Bill one, but, okay. but first of all, Carrots, Carrots Love Tomatoes, I mean, it's kind of like the beginning stages, like you're just getting started, and it's all, it's like halfway between current gardening practices and policy. Culture, and this is a companion planting, and it, it has lists of all kinds of different species. Are we stuff. going through this again, or are we going around? Oh, we're going to go. Right. We'll go around. We're going okay. around. So look, there's a new island being created. The people with the dog will be trapped, and we can point and laugh. <gasps> no. Yeah, watch me. <laughs> I know you like to point and laugh. I wasn't doubting that. I was doubting whether they'll be trapped. They won't be trapped. Oh, okay. All right. So I'm, I'm thinking that when we're done here, we need to go up those stairs over there because that place there, there's a restaurant right over at the other end of those stairs that might have pie. No. Uh, I think the stairs are down farther. Not that one. Oh, not that one. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, we're good. Oh, I'm glad we had this chat. <laughs> Got the important stuff taken care of. Where to find right. pie. Right. So, Carrots Love Tomatoes and a gardening book by Troy Bilt Rototillers. Well, so then, yeah, there's, I, there's this gardening book that I read. I mean, out of the hundred, there were a few that stood out that I really liked. And one of them that stood out that I really liked was this one uh, that was the, uh, uh, it, it, it seemed like uh, their message was constantly, just just buy a Troy Bill rototiller and then rototill five times a day every day <laughs> and you'll have the most awesome garden around. Um, and of course, you know, this was uh, uh, before I took my master gardener course. This was before I ever heard the word permaculture and all I had was a little garden. Um, but I did think that that book had a lot more thorough and complete advice that was accurate, um, whereas a lot of the gardening books that I read seemed to be just duplicates of others. Um, I wasn't so keen on rototilling that much, <laughs> but it was like one of those things where it's like you could skip the, the part, that part and then uh, embrace the rest of it. Right, right. Now, I have a question about the companion planning book. Um, well, do you think that's an, uh, a decent segue into building a guild? I mean, do you think it's the, the starting blocks of a guild? But a guild has a lot more than just companion planting. Yeah, I. you know what? I, I really kind of think... I mean, you could study companion... Okay, from a permaculture perspective. Now, you know, knowing what I know now, 
I want to say that rather than than doing all the research into companion planning, what'd you find? Shrimp. Oh yeah, are they alive? No, shrimp skeletons. <laughs> shrimp fossils. Yes, we now have scientific proof that at least a week ago shrimp did exist. <laughs> You know, I imagine this beach is a lot cleaner than some of the beaches, say, around Florida. <laughs> Considering, you know, history of the last year or so. Yeah. So, uh, we can still eat shrimp. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, um, what are we... Oh, the companion planting. Uh, and I, I think that people don't need to learn companion planting now. I, I think the thing to do is... Figure out what you want to grow, mix the seed, have lots of edge, and then when you go and you start, you know, tossing your seed around and covering it and whatnot, uh, some stuff's going to take and some stuff ain't. And it's going to depend on the group. And, it's, and then, of course, companion planting will take care of itself. You know, you see your, your carrots love tomatoes, then where you have your tomatoes, carrots are going to pop up around it. And the stuff that does not like tomatoes will probably be sad and not do so well. And uh, hopefully bugs will eat it and get it out of there. I mean, you know, the permaculture approach, one of the things I really like about it is is that we, we like the insects that destroy crops because they come and get stuff out when it ain't going to do good there anyway. Well, and I think that's, that's interesting because I think there's a lot of people that are doing permaculture only in their food forest section. But when they're growing their annual veggies, they're still doing companion planting. They're still doing rows. They're still separating a lot of their annual starts. And they're doing starts, not seeds. So, anyway, I think that's an interesting difference from what you just said. Look, a sandcastle. I think it's naturally occurring. <laughs> all right, so um, what's next? So those are really all of the more meaty nonfiction books. And then there were, speaking of the soul work, like the Nearings talked about, um, there were a few books that, well, kind of like Shelter, although Shelter is more, you know, could be considered slightly technical. There were three books that you liked just to feed the art side of things or feed um, feed the soul stuff. Uh, there's one on garden art with a terracotta couch. Oh, 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 yeah. Before I got the farm, I spent way too much time pawing through this book, which I no longer have. I wish I did because, boy, that was like... Sit, sit in the hammock for an hour and just look at the pictures kind of a book and it's just it's just art it's just a book of art just a coffee table book but I remember one one picture one small picture in the book was this couch that somebody made probably dominantly of cement but they'd also gotten like they clearly what they had done is, is taken uh, some some terracotta clay and baked their own little terracotta tiles to make this couch and um, uh, just a, a large, lovely, beautiful couch in the garden. And I just kind of thought, that is so awesome. And, uh, um, but, yeah, that book, is, that book is gone. I really enjoyed it. I don't know what the name of it was or anything like that. Well, and there was another book on country living that you enjoyed. I still have that book. Okay. I have that. Uh, and Is it called I think country it's by, I, I think so. I, I think it's by a guy named Henley. Huh. I think. Okay. But it's a... It's, 
it's a dominantly picture book, and it's like they'll have, you'll open it up, and there'll be two pages dedicated to raising sheep. And then you'll turn to the next page, and there's two pages dedicated to raising pigs. You turn to the page, and there's two pages dedicated to raising bees. And it actually has a lot of good information in it, especially for somebody who's just getting started. Okay. Uh, and what a lovely, I mean, boy, you know, if you, you take a city slicker and you want to get them out on the farm, you give them this book, and in no time at all, they're sold. Okay. And then another book that um, relates to community, and you've mentioned them on the forum, is Dom and Her. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's a picture book of the because they have artists. It's more like fine art, as you put it. You know, oh, right. Nice. I mean, it's basically uh, it's the way that you imagine the people who lived in Greece thousands of years ago making all their beautiful statues that are now like these these amazing, amazing statues now. Um, uh, anyway, the, the story of Dominor is kind of amazing. This guy is like, uh, he's kind of bonkers about this certain kind of energy work. He, he believes that there are certain energy paths in the world, and wherever the big wonders of the world are is where two or more of these paths have crossed. And he found a place in Italy where six paths have crossed, and, and he you know, was inside of a mountain, so he started digging into the mountain. Oh, and I forget what those energy fields are called. Uh, specific name for them. Yeah. It's not something I'm really into, yeah. but I, you know. But anyway, the big thing is, is that he made these underground temples, and they, and it was in secret. He was dug them out in secret, and then uh, uh, as there got to be more and more people there, eventually it became hard to keep the secret. Uh, I think the Italian government shut them down when they found out. And then they kind of got this idea of like, hey, it could be a tourist attraction. We can make money. So they said, no, we're going to let you do it. So, uh, uh, but, but the thing is, this picture book is of the temples. Wow. Wow. What art. What amazing art. And it's like some of the, like they have like the biggest glass dome ever built in the world. Something like that. But there's like, I think there's like a thousand people living there now. And the way that they manage their communities alone is fascinating and interesting and a lesson for everybody. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but the, but the book, I, I wouldn't say the book is like a permaculture book per se, and nor do I think of it as like, you know, look at this book and you're going to go get inspired to do things in your garden. This is this is just a coffee table fascinating art book. Right. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm glad that I, I bought it. Well, anyway. Well, I, I think where it relates to permaculture is slightly with community. It's just a, such an unusual community that, you know, I know it's something that's inspired you in some way. Well, and I think it's the, the one of the amazing things is, is all this art was created by community. All this amazing stuff. It, you know what? It reminds me of the carousel in Missoula. All of that is hand-carved by people of Missoula. Yeah. And the Dominator art is, is similar. All of that is created by hordes of people, and it's right. spectacular art. Well, and then in we had a section of uh, books that you want to get to. You'd like to reevaluate books on bees because with what you've learned recently from Jacqueline Freeman and other sources, uh, the books you read in the past about bees are just not the right way to treat bees. And so you'd like to reevaluate and learn what some better books are about 
unique. Right. I mean, I, I read a ton of books about bees years ago, and I bought tons of gear. I built a bee Not hut. We need to go down to Martha's No, no, because remember, we went up to this blue one here, and then there was like this mystical restaurant right there. I mean, isn't this the one we went up this morning? Uh, that's the one we went up this morning, but the ones we came down tonight were down Right, there. right. Okay. But there's a restaurant at the end of these stairs, oh. and they might have pie. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the one. That one might have pie, too, down. but that's Plan B pie right okay. now. Okay, gotcha. This is Plan A pie. Gotcha, okay. Okay. So um, I read tons and tons of stuff about bees, built a, a magnificent bee hut, um, you know, with the... Uh, this is based upon a lot of information that I gathered, including Michael Polarski once built the bee hut, had his uh, hive under the hut, and he uh, had four times the, the honey production wow. at, that he had previously. Just giving them some shelter. Just giving them a little bit more shelter than is, than is common. Yeah. But, um, uh... I don't have I don't have any of those bee books anymore. I had a, I, I owned a stack and I read through them several times and um, yeah. but now I think that a lot of my practices and philosophies are going to be quite a bit different. So I would need to reread all of those. What's next? Well, and the other books that you have that you haven't gone through yet that you'd like to are Botany in a Day and Forest Gardening by Dave Jackson. Yeah, I've owned those books for quite a while now, and I really I've, I've only I've, I can't. Even say I've really browsed them, um, and it's one of those things where I need to take the time to go and do it. I just keep not. I keep having other things to do. Um, right. And botany in the day. In the day, you felt you're not very good with botany, and that's yeah. supposed to help you learn how to identify plants and remember names of plants. Right. I feel like it's my Achilles heel. For some reason, I really struggle with botany, and and I feel like for all the stuff that I do, it's it's such a critical component. And and, and yet, um, you know, I, I don't know how many times a day somebody says, well, what plant is that? Well, I have no fucking idea. It's a yellow flower. <laughs> it's a, you know, and in the meantime, you know, you go and you spend some time with Skeeter, and it's kind of like he's only got 10,000 species in his head, and I feel like uh, such a, a lightweight. Right. Well, and then, of course, forest gardening is a two-volume set, those massive volumes right. that um, would take a long time to get through. Even even at a steady pace. So true. You've looked true. Them, but right, right. And so I I need to spend more time with those. And I and I think what I want to do is that with the thing that we're doing with um, uh, uh, Gaia's garden, maybe take that for, because basically if I've if I've got an hour in the day that I could use for reading a book. It, it ends up reading the book comes at a low, as a lower priority than, like, tons of other things, and so I end up not ever getting to the book. Well, I think the forum management is so ongoing for you that I think you spend 10 to 12 hours a day on forum management, and so that just seems people needing things seems more pressing than reading a book. Something like that. And and so, um, but anyway. All right, you know what? I, I think we need to um, let this be the end of this podcast, and, sure. and then um, uh, we'll maybe pick up we're on or we left off on the list uh, that was all of the books uh, we did have some fiction books to mention and we had magazines oh, now, another podcast we're going to go to Lincoln City tomorrow we could do it there <laughs> so uh, alright so if you like this sort of thing come on out to the forum at permies.com where we talk about salt water sand 
homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Thank mm-hmm. you.